Welcome to Mysterious Universe Plus, Season 23, Episode 20. Coming up on the show, we've got the exploits of the voice catchers, France's crystallized Uparts, and the Time Machine Tomb Raiders. I'm Benjamin Grundy, joining me is Aaron Wright. I don't think it's fair to call them Tomb Raiders, because apparently the key to the tomb has been lost. Oh, that's a bit of a spoiler. (laughs) No one's raiding this tomb at all. (laughs) It's a big build-up with this amazing story, and then someone gets to the door and says, oh, we don't have a key. Yeah, pretty much. And they all go home. Yeah, well, well, maybe. They might go home, or they might teleport to the past, or they may teleport across the city. Or they might just get on the train and go home. (laughs) 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 All will be revealed later on the show. What have you got coming up? Well, I'm glad you've got some chaff, because I ended up going into a, a bit of an Orwellian rabbit hole with this book from Joseph Turo, The Voice Catchers, How Marketers Listen In to Exploit Your Feelings, Your Privacy and Your Wallet. Oh, is this about what we were talking about years ago about uh, voice assistants like uh, Amazon's Alexa being able to know who's in the home and identifying people by their footsteps, that kind of stuff? Yeah, they can do amazing things, like tell how many people are in the room with you. Really? They can tell if you're sick. They can tell how you're feeling. And you might go to the usual suspects and think of, you know, Google Home and not so much Siri, but uh, Amazon Echo and and say that they're the main culprits of this voice catching exploitation. But really, a lot of it comes down to the call centers, the contact centers. And often, I don't know what it's like in other countries. I presume it's the same. But when you call anyone in Australia, you always get that recorded message of, your, your call may be recorded for quality, quality control and, purposes. Yeah, coaching purposes. And I always just pictured that in my mind as once a month they get like the worst calls and the best calls and they sit down with all the employees and they say, here's like Sundeep's great call with Aaron where he diffused his anger in 10 minutes. You know, I used to work in a call centre. <laughs> That, is that through. what they do? They do, they do. And so what they would do is they would record the call and they'd listen in. And so they would have to do coaching. So not actually coaching, but just like quality assurance yeah. to make sure you're doing the right thing. And they would, like every week or so, they'd drag you aside and say, this is the call that you did. And then it would depend on what bonus you would get, depending on how well you went on the call. So if you hung up on someone, which I rarely did, but <laughs> you get a very low rating. So how long ago was this that oh, you were doing this that? Oh, is, this is what, like 20 years of, ago my undergrad, so almost 20 years ago, yeah. Yeah, so that's... What I presumed it still was, but apparently now a lot of call centers, what they do is they're giving you that message that it's for quality control, quality assurance, but they're actually recording your voice and using the biometric data they gather from your voice, like the tone, the rhythm, the words you use, the way you speak to create a profile of you that goes on a database and is used within the company to sometimes direct you to an employee who has specifically a great track record of dealing with people like you. Wow. And that data goes to a larger database that is shared with other companies so they can use your voice ID for other exploitation. This is terrifying. Like, I understand the principle of it being if, because they want to match you. I've heard some of this stuff that they want to match you to someone who fits your personality profile. But the fact that a, a private company is developing a personality profile on you based on your voice is absolutely terrifying. Well, the author Turo says your voice is unique. No one else has it, obviously. And because your voice belongs to no one else, it's extraordinarily valuable, not only to you, but also to a new sector of society that is designed to exploit it. And that's the voice intelligence industry. He says the industry is deploying 
immense resources and breakthrough technologies based on the fact that your voice is biometric. So it's a unique part of you. It it's, is. It's Absolutely used it is. like a fingerprint. It's used to ID you, but it's also used to evaluate you instant, instantly and permanently as well. He says companies are working to analyze your vocal cord sounds and speech patterns for information about your emotions, your sentiments, your personality characteristics, all so that they can better persuade you, often in real time. And soon, he says, they may be able to draw conclusions about your weight, your height, your age, your ethnicity, and more. All all characteristics, he says, that scientists believe are revealed by your voice. This is what really drew me into this, this idea that there's hidden factors that we're not consciously aware of that give away those attributes. But physical characteristics is a very strange and you know nuanced kind of thing to be looking into, to, to derive that from someone's voice. I mean, we know that normally if you get a, how you doing, honey, that you know, you have a cigarette <laughs> in their head. You can kind of infer that, but actual weight and personality characteristics. Well, they're saying they can tell if you're over six feet based on your voice. Seriously? Yeah. Why? But a certain octave? Well, taller people have longer vocal cords yeah. and it, it changes the way you talk. And, and all of this comes from big data. It comes from big tech. So it's mm-hmm. basically running you know, countless voice prints along with people's profiles into these algorithms, into these black boxes. And the computers, the the algorithms are finding matches that that humans couldn't spot. Yeah, it's machine learning. And with enough data, they can really work Mm. out whatever they want. So as I was saying earlier, and he points this out early, when we think about the industry, you know, we think about the usual suspects, Google Home, Alexa, uh, Apple, Siri, Bixby. Isn't that Samsung? <laughs> Samsung's Bixby. Yeah. And the smart speakers, we think about th- those devices that sit on a shelf and you talk to, like uh, like Alexa. This is the most prominent form that faces the, the public, the most prominent form of the technology. But he says behind the scenes, the tech is widely used by these call centers and a lot of the technology for collecting your voice data and making inferences on your voice actually started in the call centers. But now, of course, big tech is pushing things even further. And Turo points out that we can actually see this because there's a rush of patents at the moment, like Google and Apple and Amazon. They're all competing against each other to just file as many patents as they can to try and control this area of the industry. So he goes through a couple of these. I'll just mention a few examples. Like There's a cartoon drawing accompanying an Amazon uh, patent it depicts a woman coughing and with a sniffle, she talks to you know Amazon Alexa and she basically says, oh, I'm hungry. And the device obviously picks up the irregularity in speech and suggests chicken soup because the, the technology knows that That's she has sick. a cold. Mm. And based on that conclusion, it also will try and sell her cough drops from the Amazon chemist <laughs> feature, oh. right? Uh, all of this is leading to, you know, the the concentration of power for these companies. Uh, another patent has Alexa listening through a smart speaker for keywords such as enjoyed or love. When it hears a trigger word, it captures adjacent audio that can be analysed on the device or remotely to figure out what the person enjoys or loves. The individual might say, I enjoy travelling to San Francisco. No one would ever say that. No, not these days. <laughs> or I love hip hop or I love Judy. And by tracking the keywords, it allows Amazon to add information to people's profiles. A Google patent application describes the firm's ability to use characteristics of audio signatures, such as speech patterns and pitch, etc., to figure out who is in the room 
and whether they are moving or performing other actions and how quietly they are doing it. So they can actually listen in and figure out what you're doing in the room, not the fact that you're there. They know what you're doing. There's a particular sound profile for... Suggesting hand lotion? Baking a cake or whatever you're suggesting. (laughs) I'm just saying. The only thing I can think of is playing ping pong. Apart from that, what else in the background (laughs) gives an audible signal for what you're doing? Everything does. Eating? Think about it. Everything does. You've got kids. You know what it's like when they're sleeping. You try the best that you can to keep everything quiet, but every little thing you do, it makes a noise. I guess once you have enough inputs and you run it through machine learning, it does find those thousands of connections that I can't even think of apart from ping pong right now. That's just how it works. It finds these connections that we miss. Now, he mentions Amazon's new uh, Halo Health initiative. They've got one of those new wellness bands they announced last year. What does that do? Uh, It analyzes the tone of its owner's voice for qualities like energy and positivity. Amazon declared that getting people to consider the emotions that their voice emits will encourage them to adopt healthier communication practices with their loved ones or bosses. That's what? that's where it's really that's where it really comes into play. This is for the workplace. This is for the workers where you come in and it's it takes like I've got a case of the Mondays to a new level. Yeah. Where they're detecting the biometric tone of your voice to figure out that you're not really into stacking boxes today. And you need to step it up, employee number 4950. Yeah. yeah. Machine-mediated interactions is something that is not good. And imagine wearing a device that tells you to cheer up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do you know how people are offended when, you know, there's this thing going around at the moment where because now people are removing their masks, someone was like, oh, now women are angry because they're going to be told to smile. Yeah. That's like 100 times multiplied. <laughs> Could have happened to all of oh, them. You're, you're in an argument and your watch is like, calm down. Yeah. You need to calm down. Yeah, and when you're in an argument, <laughs> when someone's telling you to calm down, it just makes you more angry. Of course, that's my point. Uh, he says, as people get used to giving up their voice virtually everywhere, stores, banks, and other sellers that develop their own voice assistants will have fewer qualms about exploiting what their customers say and how they say it. And he, the book is really about what's happening now in a big way, but also looking at the patents and projecting out the strategies of the industry and where this is going, because a lot of analysts say that the industry is in this building mode right now and it's on purpose, it's by design. They haven't rolled out the full capabilities of this technology because they need ubiquitous, um, basically, infiltration of these devices in society. They need everyone to have several of these devices in their home. That's why at one stage I think I had four or five of those Google Home devices Scattered around Not the from buying them, just from getting them. Yeah. No, like, they, were, they were throwing I, them into anything you bought. signed up for a phone plan and it's like, have a free Google Home. Or I, I went and bought some product at Christmas time. Have a free Google Home. Before I knew it, I had four of these Google Homes in the back of my car. I'm like, what am I What am I going to do? I just ended up throwing them in the bin yeah. <laughs> out the front of the, the, the warehouse here. Yeah. I just chucked them out because they're just giving these things away. They Obviously, the business model isn't in selling the hardware. But in the opening chapters, he gives a bit of history on how the tech developed. It's a bit exhaustive, so I won't go through it. But the most important thing kind of happened in 2005 with Panasonic. And Panasonic, not as much as... They did more then than they do today. They were kind of the number one brand for electronics, Mm -hmm. like, you know, cordless phones and things like that. Yeah, they were too when you think about it. Yeah, and it's not so much the case now. But back, back in 2005, Panasonic was it. 
and they were getting swamped in their call centres by people asking questions about the products or having problems. And they just, it was a complete disaster. Like people were on hold for hours. No one could get through. They just couldn't handle all the calls. So they ended up hiring AT&T to develop a, a voice assistant that would listen to the words that the caller was saying and then respond to them in a friendly female voice. And that's basically the system that you still hear today. Yeah. When you call any call center and you get this automated, tell us what you're calling for. whatever they call it. And then you say, you got a credit card statement. And then it says, did you mean credit card statement? Yeah, and you no, go, yes. It's like, did you mean that you want to sell everything you own? <laughs> like, no, I didn't say that. That's where that comes from. It came from Panasonic. It's just getting so many phone calls. And it basically, they were blown away by it because it cost, uh, sorry, it cut their costs by 50%. Yeah, right. Yeah. Instantly. So things started to advance in call centers. Call centers was where all this kind of started. They started to use AI to discern a caller's mood. There was a New York Times article in 2010 where they said certain emotions are now routinely detected at call centers by recognizing specific words or phrases or by detecting other attributes in the conversations. So this is more about word recognition, so picking out what kind of vocabulary they're using. Uh, They added that this company, uh, VoiceSense, an Israeli producer of speech analysis software, they had developed algorithms that they claimed could measure a dozen indicators, and this is where it branches off into the wild stuff. Mm -hmm. They started to detect breathing, conversation pace, the tone of your voice, and it would start in real time to alert the call agents, the people receiving your call, when the person on the other end is becoming volatile or upset, they would get a little icon pop up on their screen saying, this person is upset. <laughs> Customer but pissed. Can you imagine the automatons working there that can't tell when someone's getting the shits <laughs> with the call? Yeah, like, you've got to wonder. Are oh. they that kind of in a drone mindset where they're just calling so many people that they stop detecting yeah, these things? I, I think some people are. I think because you have to operate within a very um, you know strict defined, you know, script. Right. And so that obviously causes you to be focused just on that and not so much listening to the person who's talking to you. So that empathy kind of goes out the window. So I could see where this would play a role, but it's still not a good thing. The creepy thing about the contact centres, the call centres, is that they didn't let people know about the surveillance or what they were learning from it. It was all behind the scenes. It's not like you sign a a terms of service agreement when you call someone. It's implied consent, though. As long as they say, I mean, at least in Australia, as long as they say this conversation is being recorded and they can practically do what they want. So a lot of this stuff, again, was going on behind the scenes in the call centres. And then Siri came out, I think it was 2011 that it rolled out. But Siri actually came from DARPA because DARPA spent $150 million. They funded SRI to try and build a virtual assistant, and it was originally for military commanders. DARPA wanted a way for military commanders to be able to operate with when they have an overload of information. So like, hey, Siri, turn on the nukes. Yeah, basically, yeah. Maybe not that direct example, but what they came out with was this um, this system uh, and a bunch of project volunteers ended up leaving the project and re-licensing the software they built for DARPA. But how did it go to Apple through, re- through the re-licensing? Through, that, through those guys. Oh. They, they formed a company called Siri and then Apple bought them. So it all came from DARPA. It was all came from warfare. Wow. Like, but so much tech does come from warfare, doesn't it? Yeah. Like so much uh, of it. And of course, Google Home and Amazon Alexa came, came afterwards. So what he does throughout this book, Turo actually paints a few fictional scenarios where he says this, this is obviously fake, but 
this is based on the technology that they have now and what you see in the patents that's probably a year or two away. So the first example is uh, Arvi. He calls the 800 number of this website and he wants to buy his wife a birthday present and he's thinking about some hiking boots. Uh, he's never bought from this retailer before, so he just wants to call and ask some questions. But he doesn't know that the store's call centre uses intelligent predictive routing for upselling. How does so that work? So as he dials in, the computer of the software company that provides this service to them matches his phone number with the AI analysis of the words and the grammatical style that he uses or he's used when he's phoned other companies that are also connected to this service. Oh, so this is the thing. They like all sharing, yeah. share the information. The computer concludes that Avi has a predominantly advisor personality, so he's dedicated, observant, and conscientious, and it connects him, it routes him to an agent that has a track record of being able to upsell to this personality type. You know what, though? Does this mean that we're getting closer to our dream of the podcast of 3000? It is. Well, we could just say, talk about paranormal topics, talk about weird stuff. Well, the thing is, when the podcast of 3000 works, where it's totally an AI mysterious universe, people won't even know. It'll be so good that... <laughs> it's just doing it all we, we wouldn't have recorded a show in like five years. Oh, that's fantastic. That yeah. no one will know any different. May that's, have that's, already. That's how good it is. But the agent ends up um, selling Arvi uh, an even more expensive version of the hiking boots and just falls short of selling, upselling him his own pair. So that's how it works. When you call these places, this is most of them do this. You're being routed to someone. It's not some random person answering the phone. If it's a sales situation, you're being routed to someone who is designed to oh, sell to your personality. Now I get the personality matching. Okay. Yep. That's why I always get my wife to call because she's very nice and amicable on the phone. Complete and I get on like, what are you talking about? Just give me the product. Um, another, another example is Efrat. She enters an expensive dress boutique for the first time. And Jackie, a salesperson, greets her, invites her to the desk to discuss her purchase interests. But unknown to uh, Efrat, there is an Amazon Echo inside Jackie's desk that starts recording a portion of the conversation when Jackie uses the phrase, make your day. This is like a trigger phrase and it tells the Echo to start recording and picking up her voice. Jackie wants to see if a specific promotion that Amazon rolled out could apply to this customer. Amazon had invited all of its adult Echo owners to opt into a service that gives points to people who will go to specific stores, for example, that are participating and if they buy from them, they get points that goes to like Amazon credit or something. Turns out Efrat had signed up for this program, right? But because Afrat didn't read the privacy policy, who does? She doesn't know that this dress boutique links the voice identification to information about her occupation. Oh, that is not... Her oh, home location. Not right. Her estimated family income and her propensity to buy expensive products. So the salesperson has all this information. So they can up how much they push, I suppose. And in, in the story, basically the salesperson ignores what Afrat wanted to buy and just brings out the really fancy, super expensive stuff because that's what the AI is telling her she'll buy. And there are and people And she ends like up that. buying. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you've ever worked in sales, you will find... It's it's really hard, though, because you want to push as hard as you can to get them to buy, you know, the most expensive product. But in doing so, sometimes if you do that to some people, it pisses them off and you lose a sale completely. But to have IA, you know, AI sorry, backing you up, yeah. 
You're unstoppable. And obviously this is a fictional scenario, but he points out that Amazon got the patent the for this in 2019. Uh, in the first case with the guy buying the hiking shoes, this happens every day. <laughs> like This is not a patent. This is just every day. So that was actually developed since 2011. I don't know how it works around the world, but I know in Australia, I think you have to put up signs indicating that you are being... Actually, maybe you don't. I mean, I guess you have security cameras when you go into, into stores. Maybe it's recording audio. You know when you get into a cab in Australia, mm. there's like a sign saying you're being audio recorded. Would every shop have to have something like that? I mean, this is how people would work it out, wouldn't they? I don't know. Do you think big tech gives a shit No, what Australia does? No, of course they don't. No. <laughs> Companies and researchers are now slowly finding patterns in individual physical voices and the words they choose that betray who they are what they feel and how they will act. So this is where, again, this I find this stuff really interesting. Voice intelligence researchers claim that they can already link your voice to your identity, body shape, your age, your social class, certain illnesses and specific emotions and personalities. They also assert that they have been developing an understanding of the patterns in what you say as well as your sounds, even to the point of knowing the right voice and words to persuade you in any given place and time. That's a really intriguing detail. The fact that you have a personality profile that's been matched up with something that will typically persuade you. When we get to the point where you're no longer dealing with human beings, where you're actually de dealing with a vocal artificial intelligence, that'll be designed to persuade your personality type. <laughs> I just don't know what to say. I just, I find it very dystopian. There's something really, and, I, and previously I, I've been all you know, for this kind of technology. I'm like, it's going to help us. It's mm. going to, but the problem is now, especially what we see with things like, it's very different since the last time we spoke about this, Ben, like cancel cultures there. There's a, people have agendas, there's political opinions, like all of this stuff is all influencing this as well. So what if, like, for example, this is in your home and you start talking about things in your own home that go against the grain of, you know, popular culture or go against, you know, what the current. Or what know, the government so, wants. Yeah, exactly. Like in China, for example. Exactly. What happens then? It means that we are actually living in a draconian, dystopian future. Well, one of the, the main ways that's used today is, as I mentioned earlier, biometric ID. And this is where, again, as I said, your voice ID is unique to you. And you might think, well, how is that the case? How is my voice like a unique fingerprint? Well, it's got to do with the length of your nasal passage, for example, the rhythm that you speak with, the tone, the rate of your speech. It all combines together for this fingerprint, but it is permanent. Because, um, you know, if you've got ID like a driver's license, obviously details expire, your face changes over time, you know, details change. But a voice ID doesn't. That's Are a permanent sure? ID. It's a permanent ID. So you mean your voice never changes? Well, obviously, if you get older, if you're a kid and you get older, oh, it well, changes. You and if you, puberty, yeah, but like if you have a stroke or something, it changes. But in general, you know, over the large majority of your adult life, your voice ID doesn't change. It's mm. this permanent locked-in thing. So he says experts claim that these models are so robust that they can distinguish between identical twins and recognize people if they have a sore throat or a sniffle. And quite often, he says, the biometric initiation takes place without callers even knowing that the contact center is incorporating the voice print into the database. So call centers are just, like I said earlier, recording something and away it goes. It goes into a server somewhere. Now, the interesting thing about the book is a lot of insiders spoke to him, but virtually all of them wanted to remain anonymous. Why? 
because of what's actually going on behind the scenes, which I'll get to in a moment. But he said, an executive told me, your call may be recorded for quality purposes is a cryptic statement that allows the firms to say that they did their duty even for such voice printing and voice storage activities. So like I said earlier, again, if you hear that at the start of the call, it doesn't mean that they're just giving a, um, yeah, a, a performance or, review yeah, exactly. at the end of the month. Mm. Once the model is created, it must be stored. This is permanent ID. So with the contact centres, the goal is to have the individual's voice print archived, analysed and ready to use as a reference model for when the person calls again. Contact centres that serve many organisations may set up their servers so that they can use the same person's voice data for different clients. But the question is, can you spoof it? Because if yeah, it's could a you record someone's voice? If it's a permanent ID, can you spoof it? Well, on their websites and other public statements, these firms that provide these services, they claim that it's the ultimate authenticator. You can never crack it. However, there was a BBC reporter who in May of 2017 got through HSBC's voice authentication system. <laughs> he sounded, uh, he got through, he used, his, it's actually not a great example because he used his twin. He has a non-identical twin. Oh, well, yeah. And he got through. Yeah, right, okay. So, right. crackable, but you yeah. have to be a twin, basically. There was a leading security expert who told The Guardian recently that there's this new technology that emulates people's voices in real time. Uh, so if a criminal has fragments of you speaking already, for example, on a podcast, uh -oh, uh -oh. <laughs> there's technology that can put together a convincing imitation of your voice. So that's developing yeah. as well. Yeah. And they do admit, like he has a bunch of interviews in here with insiders, and they do admit eventually that, yeah, it's a bit of an arms race with the hackers. Well, wouldn't deep, uh, isn't it called deep faced? Oh, not deep faced. Deep fakes. Yeah, deep fake. That's exactly the same kind of technology, isn't it? It's the same thing, but for voice. Yeah. And apparently this has been demonstrated. And, and this is why I predict that in the future, you won't be talking to a human. You'll be talking to an AI chatbot with a voice. Yeah, absolutely will be. That's reproducing yeah. a, a convincible voice. Brett Baranek, Nuance's Director of Security Strategy, acknowledged that fraudsters are becoming more sophisticated. Still, he claimed his company's software can discern a difference between individuals under some form of stress and those going through the motions of some kind of stress. Because in the past, hackers have tried to breach the system by trying to show the, the AI that they're... Um, they're basically under distress, like mm -hmm. they're in a dangerous situation or something and they have to get through. And apparently that's smart enough work, to be able to tell the difference. He's saying now it knows. Yeah. Uh, he says we acknowledge again that we're in an arms race with the cyber criminals though. It always will be like that. Any technology that gets developed, there's always going to be a countering to it. It's just the how, how it works. Again though, this, just last year, Nuance, who, who's owned by Microsoft, they reported that they accumulated the voices of more than 300 million people for their clients. Wow. So this is just, it's not a case of, oh, should we do this? Or is this it's the happening. direction society should be going? It's too late. Yeah. It's done. Like this is, this is implemented. This is how it's going. This is that, uh, I can't remember his name. Was it Broderick? Uh, the book that was written, The Spike, about this rapid advancement of technology. And ultimately, it's called The Spike because if you look at technology on a graph, you see, you know, it kind of starts going along horizontally and eventually it becomes vertical, the, you know, passage of time for, you know, how technology develops. And once it hits the spike, we hit not just the singularity, but we hit this you know, dangerous level where technology is going to be far more advanced than human will. But this is a really good example of how you know, it was, it's been highlighted that we actually can't stop it now. It's too late. 
you can't, it's already out of control. It's already developing itself. It's already running away. Yeah. And there's nothing we can do about it anymore. There's, there's no one entity or individual that can say, okay, we need to stop. It's pretty like, much it's... Terminator 2. Someone <laughs> needs to go back and kill Gates and Wozniak and the other one, <laughs> Gates Jobs, and Wozniak. kill them all, and this stops. <laughs> we don't have to worry. My actually, my favourite contribution came from Rita Singh from Carnegie Mellon University. She's an expert on learning about what people reveal in their voices. That's that's her whole specialty. And, you know, as you're saying, it is becoming ubiquitous and it's not something we can reverse the trend of. No. It's going to become more infiltrated in society. Every single device will be listening to you um, and they'll all be hyper-connected with, with 5G speeds. So she's actually projecting, I, I don't think she's consciously doing that, but if you look into what, what where her research goes, you can start to see the type of world we'll be living in in the future and how much machines will know about you from the way you speak. So she goes into details ranging from skeletal features to cellular features that affect the ability to judge a person's gender through voice. So you can obviously, from the voice, you can tell... So you don't accidentally say, I'm sorry, ma'am. Sorry, ma'am. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, so that's a really obvious one, I think, that you can tell whether someone's male or female from how they're talking. But the machine needs to know how to do that. What I'm getting the shits with the call center operator, if they're really driving me nuts, I'm like, can I speak to a man, even if they are a man? <laughs> That's a great one. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that on my next call. They get so pissed Can off. I speak to a man? Even if you're speaking, to, you're a speaking man, to a man. Especially if you speak to mean. a man. Like, I don't care. He's like, can I speak to a man? It pisses them off. It's brilliant. I love that. So that's interesting in how it actually detects it. The cellular features, the skeletal features affect the voice. Um, certain emotions too affect voice production because of the relationship of the, the body's nerves. The laryngeal nerves feed the muscles of the larynx that connects to the vagus nerves and all of this is kind of reflected in your voice. These sorts of explorations have yielded a catalogue of other personal details that people unknowingly offer up about themselves when they talk. And that's why it's interesting is that you don't have control over this. This is an inbuilt, inbuilt fingerprint. Hardwired. Hardwired into your voice. Yep. And and this is what this is what these machines and these AI algorithms will be able to tell about you. So studies have shown the relation between weight and voice. They'll be able to tell how much you weigh. Greater weight translates into a somewhat higher voice in men and lower voice in women. The changes relate to an influence of weight on certain dimensions of the vocal tract. Researchers can even estimate the weights of a five-year-old by looking at the sound frequencies of their voices. What the hell? Statistical research has shown that certain characteristics of a voice can reveal the person's height to within three inches. Mm, I mean, that, a lot of people sit in that range of three inches, though. I mean, that's a pretty... Three inches isn't much. What are you talking about? Within three inches, so plus or minus, are we talking plus or minus three inches? That could potentially yeah, I be guess a, it's a variance pretty, of six inches. It's pretty foot. broad, but people's heights differ greatly. Yeah, they do. You want to have a manlet detector <laughs> and a monster detector. You're right. You're right. Yeah, taller difference. Uh, taller people produce a different sound because they have, on average, longer vocal tracks, larger lungs. Voice portrays a person's heart rate. This has to do with the, the effects of stress and adrenaline levels. You know where that would play a role? I was just, and I was saying before about, you know, machine regulated uh, interactions. 
Yeah, one thing that Apple I've noticed has been pushing recently, or what you know rumors have been, is that they're looking into augmented reality glasses. I know that Google Google Glass was out for a while, but made everyone look like a nerd, so that died. Um, but they're looking at producing more sexy kind of glasses that are going to coming out. That's the rumor. That's the rumor, right? Imagine though, if everyone's walking around with these augmented reality glasses or contact lenses, and at the same time, it's monitoring someone's voice and is able to work out what's going on with someone, so whether or not they're lying or, you know, how stressed they are, or just imagine the advantages and disadvantages that that might give you because it just pops up into the corner of your eye. Well, you'll find out in a moment who's the most interested in her research. Uh, I'll continue with the list. Uh, Systematic deficiencies of voice are biomarkers of certain diseases. Mm. So you can detect in the voice uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, apparently. Uh, You can detect Parkinson's in the voice. Many... um, People with dementia, it's a, an imprint that can be detected. Yeah, they get that griddle kind of sound. Endocrine disorders yep. have characteristic voice biomarkers. Cushing's disease. This one blew my mind. They can tell from your voice whether or not you're on birth control. No. For women. Isn't that insane? How? The hormones obviously uh, affect the length of the, the vocal cords. The pills inhibit ovulation and they change the body's hormonal levels and through machine learning they've discovered uh, like... Subtle a subtle change in the waveform of your voice that shows whether you're on the pill or not. This is the level of detail that that gets scary. Like, yeah, you can tell whether someone's male or female, big deal. But to tell that really personal detail about someone just from their voice, and there's no way you can hide it. Can that mean that it can also tell you when you're ovulating? Probably. Ugh. Hmm? Gives a whole new uh, insight to how Tinder might work. (laughs) Psychiatric illnesses such as depression, schizophrenia, and suicide risk also have specific voice biomarkers. Voice also reflects certain aspects of a person's environment. Researchers can determine, for example, whether a person is speaking while moving or stationary. So if you're running from the secret police and trying to call your lawyer... They will know that you're I running. I think it's pretty odd, but this is what I find funny about this. It's describing all these things that it can work out. Like if you go, <laughs> as you're just, like a normal person can hear that. Yeah, you don't need the machine to do it. A lot of it is uh, is obvious, but uh, the machine for the machine to be able to pick yeah, it, it is up, a big deal. The key to understanding all of this machine learning is that again, most of the discoveries come from loading computers with all these voice prints. But she's optimistic that this is just going to keep expanding. This her work is is accelerating at such a vast pace. She's already at the point now where they, they had a, an MIT project where they took a, a voice imprint, a voice recording of someone, and they were able to reproduce a 3D recreation of the person's face. No way. Based purely on their voice. And how accurate was it? Not very accurate. Oh, okay. But it can pick out Is things like... it just a like... circle with a smiley face? And... <laughs> yes, it's a circle with two dots. And a smiley face, but they got the head shape wrong. It was a pineapple. Yeah, right, yeah. No, apparently it, it, it's close. Like, obviously there's differences between races with how people speak and cultures and how people speak. And like we've been saying, you, your size of you and your age and all that sort of stuff. So it can it can give like a generic form of you. Like if you were talking, it'd be like tall white man, <laughs> tall, skinny, handsome white man. <laughs> and it would just produce that in a 3D image. It might not look like you. But it would kind of be... Yeah, it can work out those details. It would put you in a category. Um, so all of this is is developing at a rapid rate. And after she published a book on this, she was immediately contacted by several intelligence agencies. Oh, of course she was. No one else cared. 
I t- Marketers and spies. I told you, Ben. I told you this years ago. Remember, I've been people I know in the military. There was a guy in Australia 25 years ago that somehow developed these impressive algorithms for voice recognition. And the guy all of a sudden got plucked by mm-hmm. the Australian military and just disappeared. Why? What? Voice recognition, big deal. Did he say something racist at work? <laughs> No, he developed the technology. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, and that was 25 years ago. So imagine where it is now. Yeah. She, he then starts talking about this Israeli startup called Vocalist Health. Uh, they can detect, they're hired now to detect Parkinson's disease in voice imprints. And the, he spoke to the executive and the executive said, we want this, our technology to be in phones and smart speakers and it, we want it to be able to track the onset of illnesses via voice with the goal of encouraging hospitals and health plans to integrate the, the firm's voice tracking tech into their apps. He said the app would regularly pick up several seconds of the individual's voice seamlessly through the microphone, send it to the cloud where vo- Vocalis Health Software would analyse it for abnormalities. If none were found, no one would contact the patient. But if issues did show up, someone from the healthcare provider would ask the individual to see a doctor for further testing. Or when you call your insurance provider to update your details, they'll be able to determine exactly what pending health problems you have and will adjust your premium accordingly. What an insane invasion of privacy. It's a terrible, Ben. Just to be constantly listened to and just have someone go, are you feeling sick? Do you need a trip to the doctor? Yeah. No. No. I'll just, I'd rather just die at home, thanks. Well, you know what? <laughs> I think it reinforces exactly what's happened with, you know, COVID's a really good example. It's like... We're so worried now, like we're so fearful of dying. I don't know if it's because we're detaching from spirituality, like we've said on the show many times. I just don't understand what it is. Like we are, we used to have to dodge plague, rheumatic fever, smallpox, like all, and people are so worried now, like a little thing with a 99% survival rate and people are totally flipping out. It's now getting to the point where people will do anything to rely on an authority to keep them safe. And this is the kind of stuff that will take over. Now, imagine if when you come into someone's home and it detects that, oh, this person has a flu, will it change our societal structure where it will kick people out of our homes because they're potentially sick? Or when we call up someone and say, hey, how about you come out for a drink? And they go, oh, no, it's saying here that you're depressed and you're going to bring me down. No. Well, the big goal for these companies is to detect um, possibly COVID infection in voice imprint. There we go. So your watch or your Google Home just picks it up and you have to go and get a test. <laughs> I'll see if I can put it in the show notes. And you there's, get quarantined yeah, for a year. There's a TikTok that was put up by this uh, great woman. She did a really, really funny, but basically it's her coughing once in 2024. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there's an announcement, <laughs> like, the you have to be come. taken to a quarantine station. 